0: Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. So we're picking it up pretty late in Mark's Gospel account. So this is like uh, the final evening with with Jesus with his disciples prior to his trial, torture, and crucifixion. And so Jesus has been publicly ministering uh, across the whole area to people. He's been uh, teaching Jews in synagogues. He's healed the sick. He's risen the dead to life. Uh, and he's done away with traditions of men. He's shown himself to be Savior of the Jews, the Son of God. And that right there is the main problem that all the religious powers in the area have with Jesus, is that claim. Uh, so this news, uh, Jesus, Jesus coming as Messiah, coming as Savior, was excellent news for the common believer, for the common Jew in the time, right? Because they're looking for their Messiah. They're expecting someone to arrive. And here's Jesus on the scene However, um, for those people in positions of power and authority in Israel, so like chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, they hated Jesus. They hated him because they called, Jesus called out their hypocrisy. So publicly. I'm just giving context here. It's being like catch all the way up to chapter 14. Uh, and many of these men, they refused to believe Jesus and who he claimed himself to be, despite the many miracles and prophecies that went along with Jesus' life. And as time passed... Jesus' ministry grew. Those with, with religious power began to seek ways in which they could capture and kill Jesus. That's how much they hated him. And after a couple of attempts to no avail, we finally find ourselves on the same evening that Jesus was betrayed into their hands. So that's where we are. And I figure it's pretty likely that many of you in this room have already heard like sermons on the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think growing up Catholic, I even heard a sermon once or twice. They're not called sermons. I forget what they're called, but they're similar. <laughs> um, but because we've heard this before, there's a temptation to kind of check out and be like, yeah, I know that part of the Bible. I've got it. I'm, I've, I know the key points from like two years ago. And that's great. Praise the Lord. But uh, if I may, I'd ask that we all just soften our hearts, um, that we'd open our ears to what God's Word has for us today. And so, there's a whole lot happening in these verses, in this passage. But there's two key things that we'll be looking at. And the first would be the importance of our actions being in line with our words. And the second would be uh, what it is that empowers us to live out what we say. So, it's a lot of words and actions. we're going to see two examples of that between Peter and Jesus. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. Guys, thank you for praying. I'm just going to hop straight into it. So, starting in verse 26. Let's get our eyes on that. My mouth is already like so dry. I don't know how you do this like every week. (laughs) A lot of hot spit. (laughs) Hot spit. Okay, verse 26. And when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, Peter, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Okay, so this is our this is the first chunk we're going to be talking about, and so we have Peter and we have Jesus. And we've got Peter's words and Jesus's words, uh, and the first thing that I really want to do uh, before we're too quick to like point a finger at Peter, because it's so easy to point fingers all throughout Scripture, isn't it? Like, ah, man, those guys are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and then you just like you see the three pointing right back at right right back at you. So just be careful with that, but. If we put ourselves in Peter's shoes, we see that Jesus had been leading Peter every day for the past three years of his life. And Peter, up to that point, he had been a fisherman, right? And he, he left his trade, he left his family, uh, he left his wife, the Bible says Peter was a married man, all so that he could follow Christ. And so, this would be a really trying time, because now, uh, Peter's heard Jesus say, uh, I'm going to be smitten or I'm going to die and then raise again. That's not new news to Peter, but what is new is the timeline. So notice that Jesus says, because of me, this very night. It says this night, but things are starting to go down. So it's, it's all coming to an end, and that would have really shaken Peter. And it made me think, so you, you know when you hear something that's true? Like, you hear it to be true, um, and you know that it's true, but you, like, you, you refuse it because you don't want it to be true. Like you hear it, you know it's true, I don't want it, so it's not true, right? And it's kind of like that scene. Who's like Star Wars fans? Anybody in here? All the nerds. Cool. <laughs> Me too. big fan growing up. You know that scene where Luke Skywalker is like hanging on that pole, you know? And Darth Vader comes up, and what does Darth Vader say? He's like, "Luke, I am your father." And what does he do after that? He, like, screams his mind out. No, it's not true. Okay, well, this is kind of a silly illustration, but uh, this, this could be uh, reasoning to why Peter said what he said. I mean, he's caught up in these emotions. He's been following Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus is going to die. Man, Peter doesn't want to believe that. And so what does he do? He, he denies. He just denies Jesus' words. So what we learn is we can deny truth, but that doesn't change the truth itself. Um, Peter's focus was on defending himself instead of trusting the words of Jesus. Um, Jesus is saying several things here. Uh, we can break them down into two main categories. And that would be the first, uh, Jesus is quickly approaching death and resurrection. So, anything... It's like that did not come over very well. <laughs> anything in like this slight green would be Jesus' death and resurrection. Anything in that slight red would be uh, pertaining to the disciples themselves. Okay, so notice, Jesus says, All ye shall be offended. Peter says, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Right? Direct opposition to Jesus' words. What's the next part? Thou shalt deny me thrice. What does Peter say? I will not deny thee. in direct opposition of Jesus' words. And so simply by paying attention to what Peter's saying, how he's using his words, it's made obvious that his focus wasn't on the person of Jesus, but his focus was rather on himself. Um... And what's even more interesting to me is look, look at what Peter chose not to acknowledge, right? He responded to Jesus twice, right? But there's words in which Peter did, didn't even address the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus said, I will smite the shepherd, and then after that I am risen. Uh, smite meaning Jesus is going to die, he's going to be killed. And being risen is his resurrection from the grave. And after he's risen, he's going to appear to the disciples in Galilee. Like, those are incredible statements, aren't they? Like, if... Like, for real, if you were following someone who you proclaim to be the son of God, and they said these things to you, um, that would blow my mind. And maybe instead of focusing on being defensive, it would be more appropriate to just be in awe and wonder at the words of Christ, at the person of him. Uh, it's a good example of how we can sometimes be selective hearers, even as followers of Christ. Uh, let's be diligent to hear the entirety of God's word, and, and to be careful to not let any of it fall to the ground. There's a good cross reference for that in First Samuel three nineteen. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did not let none of his words fall to the ground. Or sorry, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. So man Sa- Samuel was trained up hearing the whole word of God, and Peter in this moment is hearing part of it, right? Um, Peter's so blinded by his defensive perspective that he's missing the prophecy of the gospel literally unfold before him. So this has been prophesied before in the Old Testament, and Peter would have known that uh, from the teachings of Christ, but here it is literally unfolding before him as the minutes and the hours pass. But he's missing it because he's focusing on the wrong things. So instead of hearing all that Jesus had to say and trusting in him, uh, Peter was instantly defensive. Uh, what we can learn uh, guys, when our focus is on our so on our flesh, right, it leads us to sowing in the flesh. And man, whatever you sow, that will you... Yeah, exactly. So where does our focus need to be? It shouldn't be inwardly as Christians, right, and as believers. Uh, we should be focusing on the person of Christ through God's Word. When We have His perfect Word. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 8 says, "...for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption." He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And Isaiah 26 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Um, that's beautiful. Uh, back to the point about like being careful about pointing fingers. Uh, this this part really stuck out to me. And like Julia, my wife, knows this more than anything anyone else, but I can be really quick to being offended and get defensive. And so uh, I don't always have that perspective that I need in order to just avoid that type of reaction. Uh, but we need to. As believers, we, we need to. Um, I often find myself reacting quickly, just like Peter, uh, even to things that weren't intended or meant to be offensive or harmful. And it can be easy to get in this mode uh, when our focus is on the wrong person. Right. So we need to be paying attention to where our focus truly lies. Uh, so we see Peter's words. Uh, we see what he's claiming, right? I will, I will not, uh, I will de- not deny thee, right? And then so we look forward and we see, well, okay, what does Peter actually do? I mean, thank thank God that we actually know how the story ends here, right? If we read towards the end of the chapter, um, if we do a fast forward, we see Peter doing the very thing which he so vehemently stood against, which was denying Christ. Man, Peter used some really strong words. He claimed that he was not going to do that thing. And what ended up happening? He did that thing, right? That's like a little Van Sneed there. Van Sneed does that thing all the time. Too much Postscript Plus. (laughs) And this brings us to our first key point. Peter's confidence in his flesh was greater than his faith in the words of Jesus. Jesus told him what was going to happen. Jesus told him the actions that Peter would live out. Peter says, no, that's not true. But Peter's confidence in himself was higher than the words of Jesus. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. This is one of the verses that Josh, across the hall there, wrote in my Bible when he gave it to me when we finished discipleship. And it's a super sweet one. It just really cements where we need to put our focus. Okay. Water, like, doesn't flow out of that little cup. (laughs) Out of the lid. Okay, so we saw Peter's words, we saw Peter's actions, we saw where his focus is at, right? So we're going to look, we're going to turn the page, so to say, and we're going to look at Jesus' words and his own actions. So it's kind of contrasting. So if we look in verses 32 through 41, I'll read those for those now, they're up on the screen. And they came to a place which was named, named Gethsemane, And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter, and James, and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch. And he went forward a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he, being Jesus, went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. So, we saw Peter's focus, right? And which way would that be going? Be inwardly, right? His focus was on himself. And Jesus' focus, we can see this in the words that he's praying to God as Father. Uh, he's, he's focusing on the Lord and the Lord's will. In um, Mark fourteen thirty six, we can see how that ends. It says, "But what thou will." Says nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And in Matthew twenty six forty two, uh, he went he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, "O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done." Again, pointing away from himself, he's pointing to God. And it says in Matthew that Jesus returned a third time and prayed those same words. He prayed, Thou wilt, thy will, thy will. So if we break down verse 36, um, we see Jesus say, Firstly, all things are possible unto thee. So Jesus had faith that God could make a new way. Um, We see Jesus pray, take away this cup from me. Jesus made his personal will known to God. So this is what Jesus would want, right? This is Jesus' will in this moment. He's praying, God, take away this cup if, if, if it's your will. Um, and then finally, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. So Jesus put God's will above his own. Uh, even stronger than Jesus' own personal will was the will to be obedient to his Father. And everything that we see from Jesus' prayer held God in a higher esteem than Christ holds himself. And man, keep in mind, this, this was sinless Jesus, perfect, the Lamb of God. I mean, if anybody were to ever be esteemable, it would be that guy, right? And he held himself to no high esteem. Uh, Jesus was preferring his Father's will over his own. And that's what was happening here between Jesus and God in the garden. And this is kind of key, which is the, the aligning of of wills. So what God's will is and Jesus' will is, the point of the prayer, the point of Christ coming to God, was that those two wills would become in alignment. Because Jesus wasn't going to do one thing or another, or another thing unless if he knew that his will was in alignment with the Lord's, that they were the same. Uh, he knew he couldn't do it. it. It was never an option to go another way as the Lord would have him to go. We even see this in Amos three three. Um, Can two walk together, except they be agreed? And kind of let that sink in. No. (laughs) You know? Like, you want to go Chipotle, I want to go Chick-fil-A. Two different directions? Not going to work out. We're going to be splitting up, okay? So that's not what Jesus did with God the Father. Uh, And it's true of our walks as well. Unless we are agreed with God and obedient to His will over our lives, There's no real walking with him. We pray that all the time. God, like help me walk with you. I want to glorify you with my life. Uh, But that takes a decision, right? It takes aligning what we want with what God wants. So Jesus prayed this final plea to God, asking for any other way so that their wills could be aligned. So those are the words of Christ. We saw the words of Peter, words of Christ. So naturally, we're going to be going to the actions of Christ, right? So in complete contrast to Peter, Jesus' words are perfectly aligned with his actions. Once Jesus had received a sure answer from God after that third prayer, he moved forward in complete obedience. Uh, He actually, if you read further on past where we are today, you'll see Jesus had several opportunities to free himself and to defend his innocence in trial. Uh, He could have done that if he followed his own will. If he was going his own way, he could have done that. We see throughout all of the beginning of the gospel. Jesus answering extremely wise to where no man had any answer to him. And so, Jesus could have defended himself. He could have chosen to do that. And we see it in these three verses here. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him. What did Jesus do? He held his peace and answered nothing. It's Jesus walking in the will of his Father. And after that, 15.3, And the chief priests accused him of many things. What did he do? He answered nothing. didn't defend himself. Mark fifteen four through 5 And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Pilate couldn't believe what Jesus was doing. Jesus' actions measured up to his words. Uh, he had heard from the Lord and preferred his Father's will to be done over his own. And what an example that is for us to follow. That, that should be convicting for any believer because we fall so short of that. Um, despite all the humiliation and pain that was to come for Jesus, he stuck to his word, which was to stick to God's will. And so, uh, there's a lesson here on prayer that's worth communicating. Uh, sometimes we pray very similar things. I think I mentioned earlier, things like, Lord, just have your way with me, or I want your name to be glorified through my life. And especially, like, just move me out of the way, God. Like, how often do we pray that and then step right in God's way? You know, move me out of the way. Here I am in the way. Sorry, your will can't get done. Uh, it's all based on our actions. Um, that's a fantastic prayer. I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you guys not to pray that type of prayer. We should be doing that. Um, but we need to be careful and cognizant of what we're actually praying. Upon praying this type of prayer, God doesn't show up and begin to puppet master us around, right? Against our own will. That's not the God that we serve. We have a free will. He's given it to us. Uh, God desires us to desire Him. He desires for us to choose and obey His will over our own. Uh, because in doing so, we show who our true love really is. I mean a puppet master and his puppet just making the puppet do whatever they want. There's really, there's, there's no love being communicated from the puppet to the master. Obviously, it's an inanimate object, so that's where the illustration kind of dies. But you guys kind of get what I'm saying. Uh, what's really cool is like an owner of a retriever or a lab. It's like, man, when your dog loves you back... Like, oh yeah, that's one of the best feelings ever is when you have love in return based on like someone's own will. That's the God that we serve. He gave us free will. So how, the question is, like, how do we do that? How do we align our actions with our words? You know, we're not perfect. Right? The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And the key word that God gave me was resolve. Resolve just means to predetermine. Or to make a decision where you are right now in your faith, to move forward in obedience. I'm like, God, despite the season, despite the emotions, I'm gonna move forward in this. That's what resolve looks like. And that's key point number two. Jesus' resolve to obey his father's will was greater than his desire to force his own. And can you say the same of yourselves? You know, God, I've got this I got this one thing I really want to do with my life but I know for sure it's not something you have for me, right? Lord, I, I, want, I just want my life to glorify you, and you go off and do your own thing. I think all of us are guilty of that to some degree. And if anybody ever deserved to live out their own will for their lives, it was Jesus Christ. But instead, he set the example that we all need to be following. So John 17:4 up there says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I mean, how cool would it be to be able to say that at the end of your life? Convicting. Okay. This is kind of our last, our last chunk of stuff we're going to be talking through. Uh, and it's, it's the victory of Gethsemane. And so, how many of you guys would have been at like, who, who goes to all church retreats? Who's been to one? What about 2019? Yeah? Mark Trotter? Remember Gethsemane? Yeah. So I wasn't I that whole thing again. And I just got to say, that guy can preach. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I'm here. <laughs> but man, I, I took away some things from Mark and I just want to share some of those things. So this is a direct quote. The battle between my will and thy will isn't fought at the cross. It's not fought at Calvary. It's fought in Gethsemane. The victory of the cross is won in Gethsemane. It's, it's won in the garden. I mean, we're called to follow Christ and having the same type of resolve that Jesus had in the garden to make that same type of strong decision of who we're going to follow. But it was a battle to arrive at that place, right? I and mean, we see the agony that Christ was going through in that moment of making that decision. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Gethsemane isn't just a really cool word. It actually means something. This is a combination of two words. It means oil press. Geth means press, and shemin means oil. Trotter taught me that. I'm thankful for it. And notice that right in the very first verse we started reading from, it's located at the Mount of Olives. So if you've grown up like me your whole life, thinking the garden of Gethsemane is like this beautiful, flowery area, it could be, but likely, historically, it's an olive vineyard is where... Jesus prayed. It's on the Mount of Olives. And when we look in Scripture, Mark talked about this. I'm stealing some more stuff. But it's all good. Olive oil has significance throughout Scripture and was used for many things. And I'm not going to go through all the cross-references, but I will list some of the things. Uh, It was used to anoint the children of Israel as holy. And it was used to sanctify or consecrate the vessels in the tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God. It was used to anoint kings and priests for service, and to provide light for lamps for continual burning. So we see olive oil had this had this awesome use as a picture of holiness throughout Scripture, and that's where we are. We're in the we're in the vineyard, right? Jesus is praying to his Lord uh, to his Father in the vineyard. Um, but before oil can be used for any of these specific purposes, you start with olives, right? And what has to happen to an olive to get oil out of it? Yeah, you gotta you gotta press that thing. Exactly. It has to go under some pretty intense pressures to get oil. And so maybe you guys can see where we're going, or you remember Mark's sermon, right, from twenty nineteen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus felt this same pressure. In verse thirty three, says he felt the weight of the pressing. Um I'm sorry, he felt the weight of the pressing. It says, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. So Jesus was being pressed. In verse 34, He was sorrowful unto death. I've been sad in my life, but I've never been so sorrowful that I thought I was going to die. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tear ye here and watch. And something we don't see in Mark, but we see in Luke. In uh, chapter 22, verse 44, uh, is he agonized and sweat drops of blood, which I looked up, and medically, it can physically happen. It's a real thing that can happen to somebody under intense situations and pain. It says, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So see this scene that Christ is in. See what he's going through just to align his will with, his, with God's will, right? So this was no game. Uh, this was an incredibly trying time, uh, but it was one that would serve to strengthen Christ to do what He did for us on the cross. Remember what Mark said, the victory is not won at the cross. The victory is won in Gethsemane. It's the decision to be obedient and follow through. And so the question is, have, have you guys had a Gethsemane moment? A moment where you decide that there's no turning back? We sing that all the time, right? No turning back, no turning back. All the time. Um... A moment where you were resolved to follow Christ as he was resolved to obey God. And I mean, I'd mean i be willing to wager in a room this big, it's likely that there are some who are in a season of battling wills. Like your own will versus God's will. And it's, that's my prayer, is that this room of people would be a people who choose God's will over our own. It's so tempting to follow our own will, but that's not the Christ-like example that he set. And speaking from my own personal testimony, when, I, when I've been in this situation, when I've been in my garden of Gethsemane, um, when I've been in that, ba- ba- sorry, that battle, I don't regret for a second following, the choo- following or cho- sorry, choosing to follow Jesus in the example that he set for me. What I do regret is trying to go my own way and straying off that path. Um, I'm willing to bet that Jeff would say the same thing in his life. And that anybody who's grown up in ministry um, would say the exact same. Uh, but praise the God that he uses us despite all those things. Um, so remember the, the olive. We talked about it starts with the olive, right? Uh, the olive on its own, it's unable to produce oil, which is representing holiness. It's unable to produce that in itself. Uh, but when the olive is willing to yield itself to the pressures of the press, then oil flows out. So if we, if we as believers, if we desire to do anything for God with our lives, to have any signs of holiness, we can't rely on our flesh to make it happen in that moment. If we do, we're just the olive trusting in itself that it can produce oil without a press. Just like flexing real hard. Nah, it can't happen. There's not going to be any oil. But what the olive can do is be willing uh, to be subjected to the pressures of the press, right? God, press me. Use me. It's a decision to be resolved to follow God with our lives. And this result here, the result is a loss to self, like to our flesh, but what is there to gain? It's to gain Christ. And that's everything. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, says, But what things were gain to me, were gain, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom, I, sorry, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, all for the reason of that I may win Christ. Is that your guys' heart? I mean, that's a huge, that's, that's a huge prayer. That's a huge statement from Paul. Um, this is our third key point, is the road to resolve is one of dying to self, but that road produces life, joy, and freedom. So for Jesus, his resolve led to his death at the cross. And we as believers, uh, we're called to follow an example of Christ, to bear our cross, to die to self. And a lot of you guys are like, man, that's heavy. That sounds terrible. Get me out of this room. Right? Well, I mean, I'd agree with you if that's where the story ended, right? If it's just a story of death and suffering with no reward, praise God, there is reward in that. What is the end result? For Jesus, it was making a way for all sinners to be made righteous. Praise God that Jesus was faithful so that we can partake in that new life. And for us, the result of dying to self, it's seeing lost saved. Man, going to Boston and preaching the gospel, it's awesome. Um, It's seeing Christ's name magnified. It's having true joy and fellowship with God that we have through Christ. And there's there's so much reward in the life of the obedient resolved Christian. But again, it takes that all of being willing to be pressed, right? Luke 9:23 through 24. And he said to them all, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it." So, we're coming to a close. Um, we're landing the plane, as Trotter would have said, right? We're starting our descent. We're not done yet. Uh, but in closing, I just want to talk about Peter one more time. So, remember the, the finger pointing and how he fell short? Well, luckily, that's not where Peter's story ended, right? When we look in the book of Acts, uh, right before Jesus ascends to be with his Father in heaven, He says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then immediately after that, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, you guys know what Peter does? He gives this beautiful sermon, and he preaches to thousands of people, and it says about 3,000 souls were saved that very day and baptized. 3,000 people. This is the same Peter who not that long before, a week or two prior, would have been denying Christ three times and walking away weeping. Man, despite how we've fallen short in our past, God still is willing to use us. Uh, And in fact, he's glorified by using weak people. Maybe you guys have heard that before. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 through 10 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And when, when someone who's lost sees, a, sees a, saved, a weak, saved person being used by God, there's no other explanation than that God must be a powerful God. Right. So if you have weaknesses join the club. Like <laughs> it's all good. God's going to use you regardless. All we have to do is be willing to be obedient to follow his will. I man, I promise you, it's a promise from scripture. God's going to use you if you walk forward in his will. So, man, to the believer in this room, like you've you've got faith. You've got God's word and his will for your life, which would be the great commission. And you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit just like Peter was in Acts chapter 1. But do you have resolve? Do you have that decision to live a life dedicated to serving and loving Jesus Christ? And I think I mentioned a verse that Josh wrote in the front of my Bible. He wrote several. <laughs> I think my favorite one was Joshua twenty-four fifteen. Now I'm sorry, it's not up here. Oh, I'm sorry, it is up here. Good, I did it. <laughs> and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve. So it's a, it's, a cho- it's a choice, right? It's a choosing. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, that's resolve right there. Regardless of what happens, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my charge to all you who have faith in Jesus Christ being... Um, your Savior, over your life. For Him taking your sin off you and dying for it on the cross and raising again. And for anybody in this room who does not have that testimony, who does not believe that, I man, I, I urge you, get with someone in this room that you're close to. Get with Jeff. Get with me, um, Julia, Lauren. Because um, we need to get that figured out. You know, If we've got questions, then we should talk about it. Because the Bible that we have is real. It's not just a bunch of stories. And so, if there's a real eternal consequence for us waiting, and Jesus has already dealt with it, there's a free gift waiting for us, man, all we have to do is use that faith within us to put our, put our trust, put our faith in Jesus, then let's do that today. Today's the day of salvation. So, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I do love you guys. Man, the body of Christ is an amazing thing. So, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll pray this out. Um, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this, this class, God. Thank you for every man and woman in here, God, that is willing to just do your work, God, to do your will, to lift praises to your name, Lord. And uh, I want to pray for, for everyone that heard these words, God, that heard your words, that we'd be willing to be obedient in moments of, of Gethsemane, in moments of great trial and, and pressing. Um, God, your sun set. The perfect example for us to follow. And while it's not easy to take steps forward in that path, God, you strengthen us to do so with your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, thank you for this time. I do pray that it was edifying. Um, help us not to let words fall to the ground. Uh, but yeah, Lord, we, we do love you and thank you for today. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right. How many of you. Can you show with your hand? I know uh, what God was prodding my heart with. I know how this applies to me. Yeah. I was thinking like this is how we can apply. And then you say something else like, oh actually this is how we can apply.